This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents. Christopher, I didn't go far enough. <laughs> Did <Sorry>. you forget? <laughs> I wanted you to say my name, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Call me by your name and introduce me by my name. <laughs> introduce it to the hot podcasting gay romance story. And Eric. And Eric. Okay, <laughs> I'm glad we finished that up. <laughs> Eric, 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 I have to tell you what I'm thinking about. I'm having distressing breakthrough thoughts. You know how those are intrusive thoughts that people with anxiety. I know have. that you're always having distress. That explains your entire career as a novelist. I think about disturbing things. So we're having this conversation about how to properly open the door at our studio because our studio is very soundproofed. And there's a way where you have to, this is the less interesting part of the story. You have to lift our door handle but up. But we're going to tell it with excruciating <laughs> detail. Because we have. After this, statehood in Narnia. <laughs> Hello. Okay. So our the door has a, a piece of it that drops down when it's closed, which is part of our soundproofing. So when you open the door, you need to hold the handle down or It doesn't up. work as well as it did when it was originally installed. Mm-hmm. In so, 1996. Yeah. So now it drags across the carpet when you try and open the door unless you hold the handle down. So right. Christopher has, of course, extrapolated this into a new novel We're going to get Christopher. A, so I, I was imagining because... All of our glass in here, the windows are like, not double pane, but they're like solid. Oh, yeah. They're double pane. They're, they're double totally pane. They're soundproofed as well. And so I'm imagining the earthquake that just gets the door stuck, and then we can't break our way out of here, and then there's a fire, and we burn to death, because that's how I think, and that's why I write the books that I do. And I said, <laughs> I would like to see you try and keep me in this room. <laughs> and I pointed out that... The places to try and get out of the room, the worst places to go to try and get out of the room are the door and the double, the enormous bulletproof double pane, gigantic glasses windows. We're surrounded by plasterboard, which you can kick your way through, maybe not easily, but without very much effort, um, comparatively speaking, to trying to get through double pane, bulletproof, soundproof glass. But I was worried that the soundproofing has given more texture and and to the to the uh, walls around us than we may. Do realize. you think it has given more texture to the walls than to the double paned bulletproof window <laughs> behind me or the solid core door? Well, the thing I, th- I think they're all terrible options. That's why it's a nightmare. I think fantasy. being trapped in the room is terrible, but I think your concept of being trapped and mine are very different. And when I'm here alone, I won't close that door. Because not only have I decided that this whole scenario is a risk, but that I will not be able to hear the killer who is coming for me, probably because you said something on our podcast that pissed him off. Because <laughs> that's, that's, so the, kind of, that's the kind of big mouth troublemaker I am. Because you're so sassy. Let's you and him fight. Yeah, I think the other reason that you don't close the door when you're here alone 
Mm-hmm. Is because you're here alone. <laughs> and why would you? Also, apparently. That's like, I don't leave a note at the house when I go out for a walk because I live alone. And who would read the note except me? <laughs> Dear Eric, you've been for a walk. Don't worry. <laughs> Well, that could be like, you know, an act of self-care to write yourself little notes about what you've done and where you've been. You had a nice trip to the grocery store. You got lemons. They're delicious. You should be thankful for those marvelous lemons you got at the grocery store. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like the sort of thing I'd write. (laughs) That sounds just like me. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so we are or we are not going to die in this room. What did we settle on? I'm absolutely not. I'm not, okay. Like, not from the, not from the the room trapping me here. I may get old and keel over here, but <laughs> yeah, that'll be the only way. I may podcast myself to death, Absolutely. but not before. You may run out of oxygen talking so much in here. <laughs> we'll have plenty of sealed hot, up little hot room. gas to breathe. Absolutely. Oh, Jesus Christ. Suffocation is a much bigger risk in this tiny little room with the two of us going full speed. Okay. Okay. All righty then. Well, what do you say we do a fucking show, Christopher? That's why the fuck not? Um, this is another installment of Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club. We've done three in a row, didn't we? I don't really count the last one as a True Crime TV Club. I guess we sort of do, but I think we've done two in the last, out of the, every other one. Like, I think that the one about the, you know, the the, the home improvement murders. Um, <laughs> home was, renovation murders. Yeah, whatever. There um, were no murders associated with the television sitcom Home Improvement that we know about. <laughs> Um, Yet. Yeah, uh, right. (laughs) But I'm still... (laughs) (laughs) Right now. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I never really saw that show. Um, I'm sure it was fine. I'm sure. Uh, No, no. That one I would really count as a... As a true crime TV Our last episode, you would not count. That was the woman who wasn't there. Yeah, that was really more of an homage to 9-11 that was... An unusual documentary well, as about I said, survivors of that yeah, particular crisis. It was a study of evil, as I said to you when it we It was very much broke. that. Yeah. This is as well, but a more straightforward one. This is very much True Crime TV Club. This is a true crime show. There was no crime in last week's episode. No. Um, Unless you count 9-11 as a crime, which I kind of do. Which I kind of do, but it wasn't about the perpetrators it really of 9-11. Wasn't. Okay, enough about the woman who wasn't there, even though we could do a whole series of podcasts about it, because it was kind of engrossing. This show, Detectives, colon, there's a colon in the title, which is weird and British. My favorite sign, you know what my favorite sign in Britain is, right? No, tell me again. I mean, I do, my, but I want you to It was my favorite. Me. It was near Leicester Square. It was over near, anyway, um, the sign said. <laughs> Eric decides passel of details are not important to story. Okay, go ahead. The, the sign said, please always open the door inward so as to avoid scraping the glass on the pavement outside. <laughs> in America, the sign would say, push. <laughs> The signs say way out instead of just exit. Like, why say t- one word when two would be possible? So, this title has two words. No, well, it has one, two, three, four words. Yeah. And lots of De- punctuation. Detectives, is just, colon, my killer case. Why is the can't name it of the just show. be called my killer case? What does detectives have to do, have to do with it? Um, Joanna Dennehy, colon, serial killer is the episode title. As opposed to balloon artist. <laughs> This woman is not a balloon artist. I no, will tell you no, that. There much. were no balloons involved. Oh, okay. So maybe let, I don't know. Let me preface this because I like to do this kind of shit. Um, a college professor's son here. 
this is a show in similar in yeah, style. It's his fault. Similar in style. <laughs> also, you know who's side. Um, to a Canadian show that we're big fans of called The Case That Haunts Me. Yeah. The production value is not as good. There are no reenactments. But this is about one detective's experience of a horrible case. This is a really interesting structure. Yeah. Like, it is very much this person telling you his story. Yeah. And his experience of this event. It, it is. It's very different from... Most of the other true crime TV shows that we've done, not in a bad way, but just culturally, I was like, wow, this is just the facts, ma'am. Yeah. There are American versions of this that we haven't done. They're never my favorite thing. I like the multiple point of view thing. I like multiple interviews. I'm a oh, Dateline guy. I love the trashy ones, you know, yeah, with yeah, the no, bad wigs and the, the porn wigs and yeah, the porn oh, lighting. God, yeah, the, just yeah. those things. I also like, so I have a lot, I've, I have a big heart for yeah. This is wide open arms here for all of these. But this was a really interesting take on this. Very no-nonsense, direct, and wow, plenty of facts to fill the hour. We open with the detective in question. His name is Martin Bruning. He's telling us that it never occurred to him at the start of the investigation he is about to describe that the person responsible for so much damage could be a woman. Dun, 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 dun. Which is... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, like, I get his point, but still, like, so you just don't think women are capable even of this? Like, wow. And the um, answer is, they are. They clearly are. Jesus, this is his moment of uh, feminist awakening, I suppose, yeah. like, in the worst possible way. Peterborough, it's an area of England. I don't know where it is. You know me and the map of England can sometimes go I awry. I thought it was a brand of trucks. Yes. Peterbilt, I believe, is a brand oh, of trucks. Okay. What kind of a southern boy are you? You have seen that logo your whole fucking life. You know what that says. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I just feel terrible. <laughs> what kind of hick uh, am I, after all? What kind of hick are you? <laughs> right? We are just proud hicks. Awful. We are both descended from long lines of hicks. Okay. Hicks. Oh. Huge. Easter, Easter, 2013. It's a bank holiday weekend, and this is the reason I mistakenly used the term bank holiday in our last episode, if you didn't catch it. Oh, yeah. He moved bank holidays to Spain, where they may have them, <laughs> they may but have I, them. I don't remember that. Uh, it's the fr- it's Friday, the 29th of March. It's 916. A 999 call, that's their version of 911. Which makes so much more sense. Why not just keep hitting the same number until somebody answers? Because then four-year-olds would misdial it ten times as much as they already do here. What are four-year-olds? Why, who's giving four-year-olds a telephone? (laughs) I don't know. They have their own cell phones now. A 999 call is received regarding a car fire in the village of Yaxley. Um, What the police don't know is that on the other side of Feederborough... I did not finish this sentence in my notes, so I don't know what it is. <laughs> like, really? What the police don't know is that on the other side of Peterborough, period. <laughs> Apparently the bank holiday started earlier. It's like... Well, there's a car fire. Yes, that must be On the be other it. side of Peterborough. I assume there are only two incidents really... No, they get the 999 call about the car fire. What they don't know is that on the other side of Peterborough... The day after the car fire, which is why they don't know about it, because it happened. 
sorry. Uh, hold on. Christopher is having fun with notes. <laughs> fun with Christopher notes. Rice. Sometimes they're great, and when they go wrong, they go wrong they at like a hundred miles an hour. Really into a brick wall. That was really great. I. Where are we, Christopher? <laughs> I don't know. I think we're in Peterborough. Okay. The other side of Peterborough. The next day after the police are called, the police are called. <laughs> Two weeks earlier. <laughs> We're never. We're caught in a loop. In oh no! Okay. Oh no! The show's crashing. <laughs> okay. 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 All right. I gotta sit up. I gotta get back on my mic. Okay. They find the car fire, and that's it. It's just a burned out car, right. and they don't really. There's no significance to it, but they begin investigating it. The next day, a dog walker on the other side of Peterborough. Here it is. Finds a body in a ditch off a single track road. And it visually matches a person from a missing persons inquiry. Is it the car owner? I'm going to say this about that. Okay, go right ahead. Because I'm a mess. At this point, we do not know that there is any link between these two particular events. Okay. Um, We do find the guy. And I will say that the details are coming up. The reason we chose this... um, particular episode to do today the reason you chose that I chose it yes. was um, in tribute to um, the upcoming Met Gala which is supposed to be on the 13th which is sub- immediately subsequent to the airing of this particular whenever you listen to it um, you're going to hear the detail that I heard but the way that you're going to hear it will maybe make you question <laughs> My judgment in, having, judgment in having chosen this particular one. So my apologies to Sarah Jessica Parker and yes. uh, Anna Wintour and the Met Gala in general. This was an effort to, yeah, the the description did not end up matching what the this. The cover story was, I'm going to put it this way. You thought that this was actually going to involve a fashion designer at some level. There was somebody, like, the, the description described um, a man being found dead Dressed in a black sequined evening gown. Right. And I was like, and then it began, as, it began a spree. Right, like maybe you worked at a fashion and I was design like, company. All right, that seems like there's that going to be, so it's going to have something to not do what with. This is. That is, but, but forgive me because that's yeah. what led us down this path. This is still an interesting story, mm-hmm. but it really is not. Um, a lead in to the Met on Monday, for it, which it we are really is not. for which we truly apologize. So Detective Running describes walking to the scene, a trip which takes him through a muddy field and it's cold, it's March, and there's a brisk wind blowing. The position of the body immediately strikes him. Someone he says clearly wanted to humiliate this person. The man's buttocks are pointed to the sky and he is dressed in a black sequin dress. It's clearly a woman's garment and it is pulled up above his waist. There's blood on his arms, and the cause of death is not immediately apparent. So you see, not really what we were looking not for. Not what we were thinking. When they turn him over, they reveal central stab wounds on his torso, injuries on his forearms, defensive wounds on his hands. He died incredibly violently. That is clear. This scene is in the middle of nowhere. There's no camera. There are no witnesses. And eventually, ID confirms that the victim is 48-year-old missing local man Kevin Lee. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. (laughs) 
why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Kevin Lee, the victim who has been discovered in a ditch off of a one-track road. Wearing a black sequined gown, but not in a glamorous way. No. Uh, He is a family man. He has a property rental business in Peterborough and a lovely family. He was generous and accommodating to his tenants, especially when they needed help. His wife had reported him missing 12 hours earlier. Uh, She intrepid detective that she was, was able to access his mobile phone account, and she started calling the people that he had been in touch with. During this time, she made a call um, to someone he had called just prior to his disappearance. It was a number she didn't recognize. Whoever was on the other end answered for two seconds, and then the call dropped. They're able to identify the location of that pickup as being close to the car fire in Yoxley, which started all of this, the source of the 999 call. So I spoiled the reveal here, um, but you almost saved it. With your errant pu- uh, punctuation. <laughs> with my errant punctuation. <laughs> with my preemptive periods. Um, so what this reveals is that she had called the murderer's phone. She had called the murderer of her husband. The murderer had answered for two seconds and then hung up. This phone belongs to a woman named Joanna Dennehy. So clearly there's not going to, given the title of this episode we're talking about, there's not going to be a lot of suspense around the identity of the killer that we are talking about. Which is not really what this episode is about. It's really not. She is a local. She is described as a low-level criminal, troubled, antisocial. She's got two children who live somewhere else with their father. And Kevin's business partner says, oh yeah, we know her. She rented a bedsit from him. Bedsit is an apartment, right? It's just a yeah. British slang for an apartment. Sort of, yeah. It, it's, it has to do with the configuration, like mm. where the bathroom is and how many rooms there are. And I can't remember what they are exactly. But God, the British are so precise. Well, like an apartment here, you're lucky it has a roof. There's bachelors and okay. there's studios and there's there's a whole – we have our own sort of slang for them. And it, it's that sort of thing. I think it's more or less a bachelor. I'm not sure if a bedsit includes ensuite. Oh, God. Okay. All right. So they get a warrant and they search it. Joanne is gone. But in the garden, they find a single mattress soaked in blood. So the hunt is on. Oh, and one of the other tenants from the building is missing. His name is John Chapman. He's described as being a drunk and a shut-in and never leaves his house, and they can't find him anywhere. They put Joanne's picture all over the media. She's got a face tattoo, so she's easy to identify. She has a green star tattooed on her left cheek. Like, I'm telling you, easy to identify doesn't begin to describe it. They figure out that her current mobile phone activity lines up with that of an associate of hers named Gary Stretch, who we immediately see in a photograph that includes him sticking his tongue out and flipping the bird to the camera. They had done odd jobs together, Joanne and Gary, for Kevin Lee, the victim, collecting rent and dealing with difficult tenants. 
Gary is, wait for it, seven feet three inches tall. So I just want to pause here for a second and say this is when my spidey senses went up. Kevin is described as being a generous landlord who really helped his tenants. Right. And yet the heavies that he employs to deal with rent collection and difficult tenants are a seven foot three former criminal. He's had some theft convictions, it turns uh-huh. out, and uh, an antisocial lowlife. With a tattoo on her face. But a tattoo on her face is not necessarily evidence but, of but being a But it shows up at your door. Right. Tattoo on face and seven foot three shows up at your door. It says, it's time for the rent. Yeah. Like, you're... Your reticence about forking over the cash might be right. diminished by what you see at the door. Also, a bedsit appears to be a studio. Oh, okay. Okay. It, it's that typically consisting of a combined bedroom and sitting room with cooking facilities. Doesn't say about the ensuite. I don't know about that, but okay, that doesn't seem to be the case. It's about com- – it's studio. Okay. So at this point, Stu, Stu, studio. Detective Dunning um, is – uh, expressing frustration as he recalls all of this, that they put their pictures all over the media and they're not getting any calls. But he says it was Easter weekend, so maybe everybody was with their families and not watching the news. I'm just going to duck in here and say we've discovered as users of social media, people who promote on social media, legitimate things and completely illegitimate things like Eric's exploding egg sandwich, that people are often I'm, glued I'm, to their... Do- I'm sorry, you're going to have to hold your response until I get back uh, to... Okay. <laughs> um People are actually, like, holidays can be a great time to blast stuff out over social media, maybe not television, because everybody is using their devices to, uh, their devices, excuse me. See, see what happens when you don't <laughs> let me talk? Did you curse me? Yeah, I put a curse on your talking <laughs> Did you box. put nightshade? <laughs> I put nightshade in your teeth. My talking? <laughs> so I'm sorry. Um, social media is when everybody is looking at their devices, and so it's actually a good time. Social media is when everybody is looking at their devices? What did you put in my lunch? You put something in my lunch. Pork. (laughs) Pork, okay, and noodles. Pork and noodles were what was in your lunch. Um, So, I'm sorry, you're saying that my my fried egg sandwich story was Uh, illegitimate? No, I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes we use it for what it sounded like to you all who heard him talking? Let us know on the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page. Does my fried egg sandwich story seem illegitimate to you? Or do you think just Christopher thinks that? We're on the verge of drinking because you're making this about you. Remember when one of us, actually it was me. Apparently they drink when I make it about me. But anyway, um, a Norfolk cop calls. Uh, Detective Dunning, and gives him the registration number for Joanna Dennehy's car. Yeah, that's why they drink. And this is... <laughs> they drink because they want our show to be over. Right. Um, okay, so this is... A couple times in the special, they would really not bury the lead. They would give you the lead and then explicate it, almost like an academic paper. There was paper. really no mystery here from right from the start. So they've spotted Joanna in Norfolk, which is not too far away. And the reason they've spotted her is because she just walked right into a gas station and just shoplifted to her heart's content. Yeah. Stole an entire basket full of groceries <clears> and <throat> just walked right back out and got in the car and drove away. And the, and got in, her, got in her car and drove away in full view of surveillance cameras, which allowed them to put the license plate number to something they call ANPR, their automatic number plate recognition. It gives them details on the car she's driving. It leads them to a host of other things. They discover that Joanne and Gary were just breaking into house after house, stealing cameras, and just taking pictures of themselves with the stolen cameras, which they proceed to show in like a montage. And I mean, at this point, I'm realizing there are two words that summarize this story, and they are crystal and meth. That's really the end line of There's the story. There's something really detached 
mm-hmm. about what's going on. Like something has clearly snapped in these two that has sent them on this spree. It may be um, Guinness and Stout, but whatever it is, they are definitely no longer directly connected <laughs> to um, the reality. Same, the reality that the rest of us are playing in. They get another call, and this one features very bad news. Joanna's apparently attacked two strangers with a knife within a 10-minute period. Both of them are older men who are out walking their dog, 64-year-old Robin Baretza, 56-year-old John Rogers. And she had an exchange with John Rogers as he was trying to defend himself. She says, look, you're bleeding. I should do some more. Jesus. Both men... um, or he stabbed he, him like 30 times? 30 stab wounds on John Rogers. I mean, and they showed you like the healed up. Like, fortunately, both of them survived. So yeah. that's good. One of them is even interviewed. But the ferocity of the attack is kind of beyond imagining. And you see all of the little scars mm-hmm. when he like takes off his shirt and shows, them, shows you his back. <clears throat> it, just brutal. So they're arrested by West Mercia police. Um, at 4.10 on Tuesday afternoon. They're not hard to find. I mean, that's sort of part of it. They're not even hiding. Wild animals running through the streets. When Joanne is arrested, she's... Not smart ones. She's a passenger in the front seat of the vehicle. She's calm and produces the knife she used to attack the two men in Hereford at the custody desk. Where hurricanes hardly ever happen. Let's talk about the custody desk. She said horribly racist things at the custody desk, which I don't want to repeat. But the process of the custody desk in Britain looked a little bit different from what bookings look like in America. It's sort of like you have to, I, I guess. Not wildly familiar with bookings uh, in America. I'm, you've had your moments. <laughs> Despite what everybody may think, yeah. I have not <laughs> been arrested many times. And so, and when I did, I just, it was, you know, there was other things going on I don't really remember. But um, no, seriously. I, I don't know what the comparison is, but it was very it was filmed, which I think they're probably doing a lot more of. Yeah, just for documentation Good. purposes, so they can't be claims of people didn't do the right thing or procedure wasn't followed or people were brutalized or whatever because she could go beat her head against the wall and claim to have been uh, mm-hmm. beaten or something. They wanted to show that she was fine, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but she is like really like having. A good time. This is like this sort of lighthearted chat. Like she talks about being um, a great something but a crap killer. I'm a crap killer, aren't I? She's not Scottish. And the guy says, and the guy booking her says, well, you got caught. So, yeah, there's that. Like, clearly not as good as you might be. Crystal and meth. Very possible. I am telling you. Who knows? Because she's so up. That's why I don't think it's Guinness Stout. Okay. Um, she tells the custody officer that she killed five people. They think maybe she's including the men that she's attacked with a knife because she doesn't know if they're alive or not in this moment. But lo and behold, on Wednesday, April 3rd, Detective Brunning, the focus of our documentary, comes into work. The phone rings, and he gets a call that another body has been found in a ditch in Thorny Dyke. I'm sorry. Um, let's all take a moment to think about Thorny Dyke. British names are different than American they names. They like to come up with names of stuff that sound dirty or questionable mm-hmm. and then just say them with a straight face. No other group of people in the world have a dessert called Spotted Dick. I'm sorry, <laughs> but you're just doing it. 
Um, they're afraid, Detective Bruning is afraid that the body is going to belong to John Chapman. Remember him? He's the man who disappeared from the bed set who has not been seen since they were looking for me? Joanne. No, I'm, it's a rhetorical question, exploding <laughs> Eggman. Immediately the phone rings and it turns out there are two bodies in Thorny Dyke. Um, and the detective it really knocks him back. This is like the level of how personal this was to him and how moved he was by it was, I thought, elevated. Well, I thought it was performance. I mean, I know I'm not saying he's a bad detective, but I think when the cameras roll, people can chew it up. I think that it's that <clears throat> our culture it is so much more violent than other people's cultures <laughs> that violence actually has a bigger impact on them than it does on us because they're not exposed to it like you know, and well, there was only three mass shootings today in America. Right. Like, yeah. so it was a great day. I don't think there have been three mass shootings in England, maybe ever, but certainly mm-hmm. not this year. And serial killers and that sort of thing. I don't know. I mean, I think there's always a certain amount of performativeness when you put a camera in front of somebody and ask them to talk about something. But it seemed like it was the thing that really took him back was that there was a second body mm-hmm. because the. Th- the thing that he seemed to be looking for was safety in general and closure. That mm-hmm. They wanted to bring this to an end. And he wasn't aware at this point, he wasn't certain at this point of how many victims they were going to wind up being. Mm-hmm. Because she had been so indiscriminate and mm-hmm. violent. Yeah, And I think that he was, you know, performative or not, more knocked back by that announcement than I expected him to be. It's a similar scene when he gets there to Kevin's murder, the murder that started all of this. Two bodies, though, are lying side by side in a ditch. There are stab wounds in the chests of both men. They're localized to the heart area, as they were with Kevin. One body does, in fact, look distinctly like John Chapman. The one next to him is a stranger to the investigation. And the stranger has been there longer than John has, which means the murder started earlier than previously thought, as you just said. Where is the limit, the right. time limit on this How long reign has of this terror. been going on and how many victims are there going to be? They bring mobile fingerprint scanners to the crime scene. I'm like, do we have those in the States? That's the first I've heard mentioned. I don't them. know that I've ever heard of that. And they're before. able to take the prints of the victim who is a stranger, and he is Lukasz Labaseski. He's 31 years old. He's Polish, and he came to England uh, just eight years before. They identify that the bloody mattress is stained with John Chapman's blood because they now have John Chapman's body in custody, but they don't know how Lukash got involved. They speak to an associate of Joanne's, and uh, this associate, who is not identified because it's later revealed that the associate was actually a child, says Joanna showed her the decomposing, the decomposing body of a man in a trash bin. But before, but given the young age of this person, they didn't charge her with a crime. This is clearly like a little girl at the bedsit who Joanna showed the body this, to. I wasn't even sure which body they were talking about. Was Lukash. this yet another? It was Lucas. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Lucas. The story gives them because the body was clearly being stored in this, you know, for some time before really she went on the before run. They took it into the. So they have. They now have another murder scene. Lucas's apartment where he was killed is another one of Kevin Lee's properties. So these are like the rent collectors went psycho. Is basically what happened. I guess. Christ. Um, uh, Lucas was stabbed and bled out in his apartment. Uh, There's evidence that this is where Kevin bled profusely as well. They didn't have a crime, a murder scene for Kevin. They just had a body dump. And the mattress turned out not to be his blood. And there's evidence there of a cleanup by Gary and Joanne. I'm like, okay, 
This is when they said the thing that I was like, all right, Joanne Dennehy is a slight woman. She was able to overpower three men and deliver catastrophic injuries. Her accomplice was seven foot three. Do we really think that the man with her, not that I want to deprive Joanne of her her feminist ability to be a serial killer all on her own. Do we not know the extent to which Greg, Gary Stretch, excuse me, was involved in these crimes? I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Well... I'll tell you, Christopher, I I think that one of the most compelling parts of convinced one of the things that convinced me that Joanne was the was in fact the perpetrator, that Gary may have been around as muscle or whatever, um, was the two victims that survived. Like there's neither of them mentioned Gary. Like she attacked, but I think but that those weren't successful. I know. But she still stabbed them 30 times. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think what they were saying was it was because she was slight and seemed unthreatening mm. that she was able to get close enough to these people oh, that yeah. she could stab them in the way that she did. Yeah. She got up right in their faces and then – because the two – the Polish – Lukasz, yes. Lukasz and Kevin um, were both stabbed – um, repeatedly in the chest, in the right. heart, and in whatever, you know, and the the defense wounds in their hands happened, but it wasn't, but she was close enough that she was able to do that. And because she was the size that she was, she was able to get that close to them. Okay. All That's right. what I yeah. thought. That was my takeaway from it. Uh, the other guy seems to be threatening, but he doesn't seem to have been the... He was more in charge of cleanup and 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 management than interesting than she was. She was the killer. I I am six three, and it's very rare that anyone is taller than me. So the idea of a seven foot three person completely scares the shit out of me. Everybody drink. I just made it about me. A few days after her arrest, Joanne is interrogated extensively. She gives no answers about her crimes ever. Her psychological evaluation is a punch card of disorders, but she refuses the opportunity to use any of them in her defense. She won't use their equivalent of the insanity defense. She wants credit, they say, for the viciousness of her crimes. Monday, the 18th of November now, so we're several months after the crime spree. We're at a pretrial hearing. Joanne has one last hand to play. They read out the indictment. She is invited to give her plea. And she pleads guilty, astonishing the courtroom. Her own counsel is clearly shocked. The entire courtroom is under her spell. It was her last shot at control, they said. They interview her former partner. Remember they meant, we mentioned at the beginning that she actually had two children who were living yeah. somewhere else for a father? His name is Joanne 
I'm sorry. His name is John Trainer. This is actually not bad notes. Now this is just um, <laughs> just way too much Chimar Solity. Really do. Thank you for the Chimar Solity. Um, he says she's not. He's not surprised by any of this. That she was emotionally abusive during their relationship, and that she was happiest when she was doing the wrong thing. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he seems he also said he thought he'd had a lucky escape. Yeah, I'll say. To have he gotten sure as hell did. He's so alive. Did those, and so did those children. So did those children. The detective also was interesting at this point. He said he was re- that his sense was relief mm-hmm. that the families would not yeah. have to relive what happened because she pleaded guilty. It would just be they would go to sentencing and that right. would be the end of that. She was sentenced to a whole life tariff, which I guess is life without parole in the UK. I assume so. Don't um, know what that means, but yes, I would she'll guess never that's what be it released. Means. So that must be what it means. Here's hoping. No Jesus one Christ. has ever been able to eliminate a motive for the killings, and so I submit to you once eliminate again: eliminate a motive. Eliminate a motive for the killings. Yeah, there was no Crystal explanation. Crystal and meth. Okay, well, to that, the thing that you keep saying about mm-hmm. Crystal, two words that I will say in response. Yes. Grocery basket. <laughs> what does that mean? Why would somebody high on Crystal need to go steal a basket of groceries that they're never going to eat? Oh, that's a good point. Hungry people steal baskets of groceries. That's how they actually got caught with stealing oh. those groceries. So they were hungry. Do we know if it was food? It could have just been... Crystal meth? Various lube markets, I was going to say. Weight Rose sells a lot of crystal meth, I hear. (laughs) Um, No, I think that it was probably either food. It may have been liquor as well, but that takes us back to the Guinness Stout theory. Yeah. Um, I, you know, like, I think they were probably, there's probably a pharmacopoeia uh, coursing through their veins. It could have been, what were the name of those hallucinogenic frogs? Sapo. That... that Two episodes ago, we that talked about sketchy them. Yeah. butt face um, lied about when he was trying to get his uh, pervert sentence reduced to I yeah. don't know pervert second class or something. <laughs> I'm not sure what happens when you're a sex offender, and I, I don't know how much better that can get for you. I hope not much. Um, there is a lot. We we brought a lot of bitch to this episode. This is a bitchy episode of our podcast. Well, that's going to be our tribute to the Met because I, this episode was not. I'm sorry about that. Nothing to do with there was fashion. A, there was a single black sequin gown that was never explained and nobody else. I was curious about the positions of the second two victims. You could kind of see them drawn. They looked kind of 69 but I couldn't quite so tell. Do you think she was trying to sort of shame and emasculate these victims? I guess and, so, but yeah. I really don't know. And like, it seemed like there may have been some sort of sexual component, not in terms of what she was doing with them, but maybe what they had done to her. And she was sort of... We had an experience of this recently on another episode of discovering after we did the true crime TV club, that there was another TV special about the same crime out there was the murder of Henry Diaz in Miami, Florida, that it basically just expunged. Well, actually wrote an alternate reality. Totally. The the victim was a, was a a closeted um, gay or bisexual man who was hiding his extramarital affairs with men and was married to a woman. He was murdered at a hookup spot by people who probably used the promise of sex to Absolutely. lure him. Clearly. And then I went to watch this other special because we had a we had questions about the extent to which the family might have abandoned him after it was made clear that he was gay. Which appeared to be extensive. And in this other special, 
through reenactments, scripted reenactments, they had him at a strip club with women dancing on top of him. And their attempt to essentially record this crime in a pseudo-journalistic way, they had headwashed this guy who was a murder victim. Yeah. And so I don't put it past these specials anymore to just be like, oh, we're not going to deal with that part, the unseemly sex part. you know. And I think, okay, at some point you want to talk about the extent to which you're invading the privacy of the victims. But if a killer is motivated by anti-gay rage, if there's a risk factor at a known gay pickup spot where people are using the promise of sex to... Uh, entice people or lure them into doing something dangerous. All of these are facts of public interest, you know, and I think if you're excising them because you're worried about a homophobic response from someone who doesn't want you making your special to begin with, I think that's a questionable choice. So do you think that's what's happened here? I think there is blessed little in this about the nuances of their relationship to their first uh, discovered victim. He may not have been the first victim, but the fact that all of these murders were connected by the property and the business, I'm not saying anything about them was justified, but what was the <laughs> oh, connection? <laughs> what was the connection here? Um, what, why was he in a dress? There's never even a theory put forward. With his butt sticking up, his there, naked ass sticking up into the air. That is such a... There was so much there. Yeah, I just... and. That clearly was not the focus because what the documentary was about was the detective's emotions, which he played up for us, and the map of Norfolk and Hereford and Peterborough and all and that sort of stuff. And the fact that this was a woman, the yeah. shocking uh, component of this being a woman committing these kinds of crimes. Because one of the things they said, she was one of the rarest of all known species. She was a female serial killer, which is not a common thing. It's not common. And when we do talk about it, it is usually in the context of a marriage between serial killers or a relationship. What was it? Rosemary West, a horrible story we did also out of England, but that was a deeply, profoundly abused couple who found each other and became married and abused their children and killed a bunch of people, and they were working in tandem with each other. That's why I immediately was like, I, I don't need to believe that this Gary Stretch guy was was essential to the crimes, but I think if you're if you're looking to present her as a solo female serial killer as an anomaly, that is something you need to address and rule out because there's such a history of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I did. There was that serial killer, the woman serial killer in in, in Sacramento, mm -hmm. who poisoned all those tenants and buried them in yeah. the yard. I, yeah. But it's usually that kind of, as opposed to this sort of. Wild, brutality, violent, anger, brutal, like it was. I just, yeah, it was. I, it, it was horrible. It was, it's a really shocking. The thing that has stuck with me after seeing it were those tapes of her at the booking. Oh God! The yeah. sort of laughing around, joking, whatever it was, crystal meth or Guinness Bogo Stout or Guinness Stout, Zappo, or what, the Zappo. frog hallucinogen, yes, right. absolutely, and the, and the shoe company. Um, yeah, that's Zappos, Eric. <laughs> Uh, and they're great. Dude, they send you shoes. It's fantastic. But um, And you can send them back, which is the whole foundation of their business. Anybody who sends me shoes is great. I just that's, love shoes. Right, um, that's just lovely. Uh, it, I, going back to your point, it almost seemed to me like the whole reason for doing it was that moment at the custody booth. That she was all about building up that attention because everything she did afterwards was about getting attention, even right down to pleading guilty yeah. and surprising her own lawyer, never saying anything. That is, that's the fucking killers who in jail will not reveal the location of the bodies of their victims are bound for a special place in hell. Yeah. That is like, oh, 
and that's that, so monstrous. Yeah, and there's um, a podcast out there from Billy Jensen and Paul Holes, which I think we've talked about, both of whom were big, uh, actively, well, majorly involved in the hunt for the Golden State Killer. Paul Holes probably more than anyone else because he works in DNA science. Right. But Billy Jensen finished Michelle McNamara's book, essentially, was one of two journalists and who did he that. And went on tour with Patton. Yeah, and they, um, Paul and Billy's podcast will um, direct their listeners into very focused internet-based projects that are mostly about data mining and things like that, that are about trying to do things like that, like find the locations of victims of killers that the killers will not reveal, using basic facts about whatever. They're, they're very, they have a lot of discrepancy about, they're not telling people to go out and accuse people of murder on the internet, right. but it's about, putting armies of people together to look through a lot of information right. at the same time. Crowdsourcing as much Crowdsourcing, as they possibly sorry, that's can. the word yes. that was right on the tip of my tongue. But yeah, I'm, that's not, she left her bodies out in the ditch, so that's not an issue with the Joanne Dennehy case. And posed and costumed. And yeah. It's just very, like, there was not really any description of the condition of the two bodies other than that one of them was more decomposed than the other. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that continued. And the attacks on the two men, I just... That was terrifying. Just, I mean, can you imagine just being walking your dog and some suddenly you're attacked by this hellion who stabs you 30 times? Honestly, given the state of the homelessness crisis in California right now and how many seriously mentally unwell people we have with no support and no apparent resources on the street, I don't, I don't, I can imagine it. I didn't mean well, to take us I mean, down I that road, but it's a scary Anybody can time. imagine being yeah. attacked, but it is still, even that in itself is... yeah. Is horrendous. I mean, of course, we can all imagine that somebody came into our rooms in the middle of the night and, you know, drove a spike through right. our forehead. I, I, not questioning your imagination. No, well, it's I was shocked. Or the avail the availability of threat. Yeah, and that still freaks me out. I was just like I was walking not too far from the studio years ago, and suddenly I was flying forward, and I really came close to hitting my face on the pavement. And when I turned around, there was clearly someone with profound mental health issues who had been living on the street for a long time, leering at me. He had just shoved me a two handed shove against my back, and I froze i just froze i i'm not i have not been subjected to a lot of physical violence in my life so it was a shock in those moments you you either have quick reflexes or you don't and um he just continued on and i mean i called the police but it's like by then he was gone what was i gonna do i said be on the lookout for this guy he might push somebody else right. not the same as being stabbed over and over no. again but this this sense that somebody could just wildly and immediately and violently invade your space, I think, is something that we deal with in the city more maybe than some other people do who don't live in urban areas. And these people didn't. I know. That this was, was terrifying. the countryside of – this yeah. was small towns in – I don't know what part of England, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It was it – was, it was – it was quite the story, and she was quite the character, and I dreadful. was left with so many questions. Oh, so many questions. And, uh, you know, like, as we did with the last one, if you go and peer into the abyss of this crime, you may find that this special did a very poor job of covering some of the territory. I'm still pissed off about that Henry Diaz thing. I just think that's that was a really one of the most questionable shocking. decision. I can't even imagine that that's... That the episode should be taken off the air. I, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it should not be on channels. It should be taken down because it's just false. It's just, I mean, it's just simply and, and it's not sort of like, true. And what's how the hideous defense? of his fucking family to participate in such a shocking. 
And what's, of... what could possibly be the defense for that? I mean, we don't want to invade the man's privacy. You're already reenacting his murder on well, television. I'll tell you, the thing that, has, that that has always raised in me is we did a different um, uh, crime from that same series. A perfect murder, I believe it was yeah. called. Yeah. And I would like to see if we could find a different a show. Okay. That is about that. We same can. Murder. I think there's a dateline about that same murder. And I would like to do a compare and contrast version because after that, that that calls the show into question for mm-hmm. me. Like, yeah. how inaccurate was it? I would love to do a com- a direct comparison of those two shows and see if, in fact, we reported on a show that completely. Yeah. Because that one took a very specific point of view mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And the thing that has always struck me about that, that because I remember the reporting of that murder, it's like that I remember saying at the time, I, I don't remember this crime being reported this way. Mm-hmm. Like, but obviously, you know, here it is. So mm-hmm. I was just me filling in the blanks in my own head. But now maybe not. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to shine a light on the fact that any het washing is a problem. Like anywhere, any for any reason, it is a problem. Het washing a story, like I, I don't think there's ever a good reason for it. I'm try, I'm sitting here trying to think of one, and it's like I'm still angry about Troy. Yeah, yeah. I am still like I have managed to stop giving David Benioff the evil eye at mm-hmm. the gym. Mm-hmm. Um. Because of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. So there's some forgiveness there. And there was some gay stuff in Game of Thrones, and right? All of which had been managed to be excised before it <laughs> before actually it could happened. Be consequential, yeah. Absolutely any part of the plot entirely. So uh, not a complete yeah. forgiveness, but like, okay, I'm a little less. But I don't know that I have ever been that angry. Tell us what you're angry about, okay. in case we don't know. One of the most legendary, epic, love stories of all times is that of Achilles and Patroclus. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually, like, the reason that Achilles kills, is it Paris? Mm-hmm. The, I don't know. The, um. I, think he's, I think that's right. I think I'm calling the right name. The, the king of Troy, the one who abducted Helen, mm-hmm. is because he killed his lover, mm. Patroclus. He is... He's so enraged. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's this huge inciting incident. Right. And it is, they are legendary, and it is part of this vast and well-documented and undisputed, undeviated story Mm -hmm. of Troy, of the the attack on Troy, the the Trojan War. Um, And for the purposes of that movie... Brad Pitt, who played Achilles, was cast as Patroclus' cousin. Jesus. And it it's like, I'm sorry, so you think Homer mm-hmm. is not sacred enough. You can just change whatever you want to, like, rather than offend some bigot who might mm-hmm. be put off by the fact that... Yeah. Um, ...that Garrick and Hetland and Brad Pitt were lovers. Mm-hmm. You're, in fact, going to change this epic story that is a Mm 2,000-year-old tradition of Western civilization for what? Mm -hmm. I just—I mean, it it even takes the the motivation out of Achilles 
actions. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, certainly he could have been close to his cousin, but it is not the same thing as having somebody kill the love of your life. Like, mm-hmm. that is not the same reaction, mm-hmm. right? When Gwyneth Paltrow's head was in a box at the end of Seven, she wasn't his cleaning lady. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though he might have been close to her, it was, in fact, Brad Pitt's wife or lover right. in that particular story. I just I just could not believe it. I am still every every mention of that movie makes me furious. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, maybe one of the worst examples of head washing that I can ever think of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would like to see it burned. I would mm-hmm. like to see it never aired anywhere ever again. I feel a limited podcast series from TDPS coming on called Het Wash, <laughs> where we chronicle all the worst examples of het washing that we can find. It just because, makes me, I, yeah. it, I could never deal with um, a Beautiful Mind. Mm-hmm. Just one of the most, like, I'm sorry, a man dealing with. Um, his inability to uh, connect with reality and his own personal identity, uh, who's, you know, arrested for having sex with men in toilets, but instead mm-hmm. we're going to change it into the story of how the wife who left him and was not with him mm-hmm. at any point during the story that we're telling and did not reunite with him until the release of the movie. <laughs> Was the person who hurt their love was what brought him back from the brink mm. of insanity. Like, nothing could be further from the truth. And it was best picture. I just... Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> I know. Stuff like that just makes me nuts. I know. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. And I knew the whole story, so I let you tell it because it's you tell it well. Um, I have great passion about great this topic. passion. So we will be returning to it at What's some point. What's your worst case of hat washing? Oh, God, I'd have to think about it. I don't know if anything's worse than Troy. I never saw Troy, for that, partly for that reason. Oh. Um, I think sometimes the conversation about it is worse. I think the stuffy academics that you will encounter who say things like, well, people weren't that way, or homosexuality is a modern convention. What they're really saying is that if there is, if there is a... Um, pile of maybe contradictory evidence or that suggests, but in some instance, I'm not speaking of Troy, we must default to the heterosexual excuse because that's simply how most people were those days. It's such shoddy, it's such bigotry disguised as scholarship yeah. objectivity. It's it's such erasure that it, it sometimes those conversations, when we were speaking out, you specifically about the show Da Vinci's Demons. For that's much another that great reason, example. Yeah. I went and did, on, a, on the dinner party show we talked about it, I went and did a deep dive on that, and I found the, the vast majority of the scholarship suggests that Leonardo da Vinci was absolutely not heterosexual, but the tone of so many of the scholars, respected scholars around the issue was, well, unless we have a smoking gun, we can't possibly say that he wasn't heterosexual because, you know, it's such a big accusation to me. And it was like, fuck you. That's right. how I felt reading that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it just makes me, those kinds of moments just make me want to absolutely lose my mind. And I know. I mean, to be as ignored and underrepresented, underrepresented as we are in movies and television and the media in general, mm-hmm. um, to the point of criminality, that yeah. people could actually, for a period of time, be, you know, be charged for depicting gay people in their movie or their yeah. their their television show. Um, to to then have 
actual characters mm-hmm. erased from stories for the purposes of, as Lady Gaga so brilliantly put it, not offending the bigots. Yeah, totally. Um, is really just the cherry on the dog shed, if you will. Absolutely. We will absolutely be returning to this topic in future episodes, but we're also going to do something in future <laughs> and episodes. At, and at dinner parties throughout absolutely. West Hollywood. And absolutely. Southern California. Um, something that's coming up, we are going to finally do a true crime TV club in the next few weeks about a show that has been requested that we have never done. Dun, dun, dun. We did get some people early on in our podcast asking us to tackle this specific series, and that series is called... I'm really excited. Southern Fried Homicide. So coming up, not next week, but the, in the weeks after, we will be doing an episode of Southern Fried Homicide on True Crime TV Club. Can't wait. At least one. Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Schock. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.